Good to be with you guys. Thanks for being here today. We'll start with something just a little unusual, perhaps, but that shouldn't surprise you too much. Listen to this. There once was a boy named Boo who was so afraid he didn't know what to do. Boo was afraid of the sky because he didn't like to fly. He was afraid of the water because it was such a deep bother. He was afraid of dirt because sometimes it hurt. He was afraid of bees because often they tease. He was afraid of dogs and cats, if you please, and sadly, Boo couldn't stop shaking his knees. Then one day, Boo had an interesting thought. What could I do if I was free of any fearful plots? How would life be if I happened to see a very different side of me? What would I do if I remembered it's true, God's bigger than me and you? Sometimes I wax poetic, maybe pathetic, but that's the part of a, a children's book that I hope to publish this next year, and it's about fear, which is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, by the way, a couple of mentioned or asked me about the Pete the Prodigal Pumpkin, and it is across the street. Hastings, Mary's got her over there. She's uh, been here a few times. I always invite her to come back, and she's been here. But you might want to stop and pick it up. Uh, it's over there if you'd like to. But I wrote that book, and I wrote uh, this one because I want to have an impact on the lives of the next generation as well as you guys. And I was thrilled this morning when one of the uh, ladies in our church told me, my granddaughter read the Pete the Prodigal Pumpkin, and she prayed the prayer at the end of the message, at the end of the book, which is why I wrote it. So that was awesome for me. But the reason I read that little poem about Boo, at least part of it, is because it's, I want to set the tone for our last talk in this series today. Four-letter words of the Bible, and today's topic is, you guessed her, Chester, fear. Fear. Now, fear is mentioned a lot in the Bible. Over 80 times, the phrase, fear not, do not be afraid, is used in the Word. It's over from beginning to end. We see this this admonition, this, this exhortation, sometimes from angels to people. I would be freaked out if an angel showed up as well. Uh, but sometimes it's God just speaking to someone saying, fear not, don't be afraid. It, it happens often. You see, we humans are a fearful lot, aren't we? I mean, let's just own the fact. Some of you are bolder and more courageous than others. But all of us have at least one thing maybe that we're, we're afraid of. Uh, some of us are afraid of public speaking. If I were to walk down right now and bring a mic up to you and ask you to share your testimony, some of you would pee right there in your chair. You would, <laughs> it would not be a pretty sight. You would never come back to this church because he's doing that, I'm out of here. Some of us are afraid of relationships. We, uh, we, we feel intimidated by getting you know, to know people, especially new people. Some of us are afraid of our past and what may or may not happen because of it. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of all sorts of things, fear, consumes some of us, but all of us have a, a, at least a little thing that we're afraid of. We're going to take a look at one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. It's a guy named Gideon, and his story is found in the book of Judges. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, you can find the book of Judges. And if you're new to the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. It's between the book of Joshua and Ruth. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. That's how I remember it. But look at the table of contents as well if you, if you need to. That's all right. That's, pretty, that's, that's just fine. But we're going to look at a story of Gideon. And it's a story in part of overcoming fear. And like I said, it's one of my favorites. Now, this, the book of Judges is an interesting and si sort of tragic book. It's one of my favorites in the Old Testament. And if you've read the book, you think, wow, that seems kind of weird. Why would that be your favorite book? Well, uh, it's a book written between this, this uh, a very chaotic time, between... Um, Joshua's death, Joshua was the successor to Moses, so it's between his death and the beginning of the monarchy in Israel with King Saul. And it's a very chaotic time in Israel's history. Uh, the book, unlike any other in the Old Testament, shows us the tendency of mankind to go his own way, his or her own way. 
It shows the tendency that we all have to, to screw up, to mess up, to make lots of horrible mistakes. We see that again and again and again, this pattern of failure in the book of Judges. But that's not the end of the story. What I love about Judges, because that's the depressing part, the good news is what I love about it is we also see the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God in Judges. We see that over and over again, how God listens to, hears, and responds to the cries of his people. Judges chapter 6, let me read verse 1 for you. Judges 6, 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now the word again there implies that this is a pattern that kept repeating itself over and over again in the book of Judges. And like I mentioned before, the Israelites would do evil, they would wander from God, they'd end up in a mess, they'd end up crying out to him. God would have mercy on them, he would send a deliverer. There's stories like Deborah, really cool woman in the Bible who actually was a quite powerful, and God used her. It's a great story. There are others in that book, but God would send a deliverer to defeat the enemies of Israel. And then for a season, for a time, usually during the time of that deliverer's, you know, that was Deborah or, or Gideon in this case, while they lived, then Israel would be fine. They would walk with the Lord. And then after a while, their hearts would turn hard and cold, and they would begin, begin to go their own way. Despite the, the repeated failures, and we see that often in this book, what I love again is that God hears the hearts and cries of his people and that he never abandons them. I just want to throw that in. That's not really what I'm talking about today, but some of you have felt abandoned by God. You've wondered if God's going to give up on you. And let me tell you, that's not what he does, ever. The book of Judges, if it's anything, it's this declaration. God never gives up on us. He always hears our cries. Skip down to verse 11 of Judges 6. Let's get into Gideon's story. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joaz the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. We'll come back to that in a minute. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, now see the picture. An angel shows up, says to Gideon, God's with you, you stud. I'm paraphrasing. It's boob to paraphrase there. Verse 13, But sir... Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? He's starting to whine. Can you hear it? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, that did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. He's whining. He's complaining. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him. I'm not sure what that means exactly, except I think at this moment they're having an eye-to-eye confrontation. And said, and I'm sure with some firmness, go. And the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian Midian's hand, am I not sending you? Verse 15, here's the second, but God. But God, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, and here's the five most important words in the whole talk today. I will be with you. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. Just to make sure, again, you see the picture of what's going on here. The entire nation of Israel is being bullied by the nation of Midian, the Midianites. And if you read the story, it's horrible. I mean, they would come in and devour everything, take everything. The Israelites were living, uh, hiding in fear, eking out an existence, starving to death. They had nothing. And Gideon is here threshing out wheat in a wine press. A couple of things you need to note about that. Number one, in that day and age, you know, I'm not saying this is the way it should be, but in that day and age, men never threshed wheat. That was a woman's job. He's threshing out wheat, and he's doing it in a wine press. I've been in Israel, and I've seen some of these ancient wine presses. And basically, there's this big hole in the ground that they carve out, often in, in rock or something very hard. 
and, and uh, that's where they would crush and dance on the, the grapes. Well, he's hiding in this hole trying to thresh out enough wheat just to get a little bit of, of, of food because he's starving. The point being here is that he is terrified. In fact, he's a slave to his fear at this moment. And then the angel of the Lord shows up, and that's that setting. They're in a miserable place. Things aren't going well. Gideon's not doing well. He's hiding. He's threshing wheat. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, The Lord is with you, almighty warrior. The scene is so ridiculous, it's humorous. It's like, what? You've got to wonder, what is going on in Gideon's head when this is all taking place? And we see it. Well, he's questioning. He's, he's thinking, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, Gideon runs the Lord through some tests. Uh, there's a couple of them that happen in chapter 6 and 7, and we see the Gideon's flee. Some of you are heard of that story. But anyhow, God passes the test. Duh. And then Gideon takes, you know, faith, steps out, takes the risk, and Gideon does, in fact, I'll give you the short version, he does, in fact, become a mighty warrior, a great warrior. Kicks the Midianites' butts. I mean, does an amazing job. But what can we learn from this story? What can we learn from this encounter between Gideon and the angel of the Lord about fear? Well, here's the big idea today. Here's what I want you to walk away with. When faced with fear, let God define your reality, not your past experience or your present emotions. Listen, this is important. When faced with fear, when you're at the threshold and you're looking through, you know, into something that's terrifying you, you don't, you can't see beyond your nose, you have no idea what you're going to do, you have all sorts of questions, you're shaking in your boots, you're, you're, you're feeling completely empty, bankrupt, I mean, Paint the picture. When you're right there, when faced with fear, let God define what's true. Let God define your reality, not your past experience or your present emotions. In other words, let God define what's ultimately true about you and about him. Let God be the one that says, no, this is the reality that I want you to embrace. See, apparently, and if you read the scriptures, the Bible, you'll hear this again. You'll see it over and over. God sees things differently than we do, doesn't he? We see this narrow little sliver, this little slice, this one pea, you know, in, in a whole ocean of life and things. And God sees things differently than we do. And his perspective is frequently quite unlike ours. Here's what we do. At least I'll own it. Here's what I've done. I look at myself. I look at my brokenness. I look at my past. I look at my weaknesses. I look at all the mistakes I've made. I look at my life, my, again, riddled with failure. And I think, God, there's just no way. But amazingly, what God does is he looks at you, and he sees what you're becoming. He sees a potential in you that truly is beyond your wildest dreams. You see, God sees what you can become in and through him. What did he say to Gideon? I am with you. God looks at you, and he sees what you can become because he sees your future in him and through him. One of the things I love about the scriptures, about the word, is that we see consistently throughout, again, from beginning to end, that God has a purpose and a plan for his people. His people, the Old Testament, initially were the Israelites, though they were to be a light to the Gentiles, and it was never exclusive for them. But God has always said to his people and to those who are his followers, to you, he says, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. I really do have something I want to do unique and wonderful and special through you. Now, does that mean we're all going to be, you know, noble, uh, great, mighty, you know, men or women who are famous? No, not necessarily. Does that mean that we're all going to be, you know, politically successful and, and, and become president? No, I, I hope not. Not at all. 
What it means, though, is that God has a unique plan and purpose for your life. And he always has. And the other thing we see consistently taught is that he is always with us, that we're never alone. He told the Israelites, Isaiah 41, 10, do not fear, for I am with you. There it is again. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. Jeremiah told God's people in Jeremiah 29:11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, I know that was spoken to the Israelites who were in captivity in Babylon. I know it's a specific promise to them. But the principle, the, the understanding we have from this is that this is the heart of God. God says, I know what you've done. I see your life. I know what you've, you, you've, how you've messed that up, how you've goobered things up. But that's okay. I've got a future and a hope for you. The writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 13, 6, because of this promise, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid of anything. How can anyone harm me? And by the way, I didn't give you verse 5 here, but verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The promise, it says because of this promise, the promise is God will never leave you nor forsake you. And it says because of this, the writer of Hebrews said because of this, we can boldly say the Lord is my helper. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of your life, your time, God has tried to tell you, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I want to do something through you and in you. And I am always going to be with you. I love that song we sang earlier, Holy Spirit, come. And that, that whole idea of make us aware of your presence. You see, our problem, more often than not, is that we just aren't aware of it. We don't understand that God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Gideon sees himself as all alone. And as a nobody, as a nobody among nobodies, a nobody going nowhere fast. But what does God see? God sees him as a mighty warrior, a man with incredible potential, a man in whom there is greatness because of what God wants to do through him. God sees things and us differently than we do. And we've got to let him define our reality. Too often we let others or circumstances or even our emotions define what we believe. We, defi- we let those things, our others, our circumstances, our emotions, define what is and isn't true about our potential. And I, trust me, I, I've been doing this for a long time, and I have talked to thousands of people in, min- in my years of ministry, and I've had conversations hundreds of times where I, I, they don't always say these words, but that's what I hear. Yeah, but. Well, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, God might have had a plan for me once upon a time. Well, yeah, but you, you know, but, but they, there's, there's excuse after excuse that we make because we don't believe that God is greater than who we are. Our circumstances, our past, and we listen to the voice of others. Oh, that self-talk, that's so destructive. I uh, did my very first talk in front of a group when I was in seventh grade. I remember it because it was so traumatic. I was uh, 12 years old, living in St. Louis, Missouri. It was 1970, and I know some people thinking, wow, that guy's old. Yes, I am. And it was during a time, uh, the Vietnam War, and it was a lot of unrest, a lot of political unrest, and I had a social studies teacher who was a flaming liberal. I mean, he was, he was as liberal as they come. He, I don't even know how he got away with this. He actually took his class out, and we marched in opposition to the war. I mean, how do you, how do, you do that? I don't know, but... But I uh, was given an assignment 
in social studies, I was, I was to talk for four to five minutes on the atrocities of the Vietnam War. That was my assignment, and everybody got their own specific assignment. Mine was I was supposed to stand up in front of my classmates, seventh grade, 12 years old, talk for five minutes about the atrocities of the Vietnam War. Now, here's a couple of problems with that. Number one, I came from a very hawkish family. I mean, my uncle was in the Korean War. I had two cousins that were in Vietnam at this time, one of them a ranger. And I was not the guy that should have been given the topic, let's talk about the atrocities of the Vietnam War. Now, I understand there are things that happen. I'm not, this is not a political statement. I'm just saying, as a 12-year-old kid, I have a completely different frame of mind than my social studies teacher did. And I've given this assignment. I was supposed to stand up and talk about this in front of my, my peers. I was terrified. And I did my best. And I stood up there. And I, I don't remember much of what I said, except I do remember this. My solution to the problem. Because he wanted us to give the problem and solution. My solution to the problem was nuke Hanoi. <laughs> War over, we win. Now, please, I'm not making political. Some of you are very you know, offended by that. I don't, I'm, I'm just saying that was where I was at. As a, I wouldn't want to nuke Hanoi today. Probably. No, I wouldn't. But anyhow, I digress. So I make this statement, and I'm not kidding. I get done, and I literally had my classmates boo me. I'm 12 years old. I'm this peanut of this little guy. I was this tiny little I didn't grow until I was like 28. I was this tiny little guy, you know, and, and, and my classmates are making fun of me, and they're booing me, and my teacher, my teacher gave me a D minus. You know why? He told me later why. He didn't give me an F because I, at least I stood up there and did something. I made a vow. I made a vow that day. I remember it, guys, because to this day, it still has some power in my life. I, I still have to go, okay, Lord, no, you're bigger than that. I made a vow at that point, 12 years old, that I would never speak in public again. <laughs> rest of junior high, rest of high school, I took Fs on oral reports. And I was a, I graduated at 3.8. So I imagine how much extra work I had to do, because I every time, every time I take it, nope, not going to do it. I'll give you an F. Take it. Thank you. It's terrified, terrified of public speaking. And you can imagine, let's fast forward to I'm 19 years old now, and God says, Abubna, I want you to be a pastor. <laughs> well, God, we got a problem. Actually, I don't have a problem. You have a problem, because I ain't going to do it. So it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to speak in public. And it's, it has been and was um, always something that I have to lean on God for. I literally said out loud, God, this is not going to work, not me. I pulled a Gideon. But God, verse 15 again, I come from a long line of losers, and I'm the biggest loser in my family. That's what Gideon said. You've got the wrong guy. Let me say it again. Too often we let others, our circumstances, our past, or even our present emotions define what is and isn't true about us, rather than, listen, rather than listening to the heart of God, listening to what he says about us, and discovering our potential in and through him. See, here's how it works with God. In case you're wondering, here's how it works with him. He looks at you and he sees your potential, not your past or even your present is a big deal to him. He says, I, I, can, I can redeem that. I can get over that. It's okay, we'll work through that. It's, I'm going to use that, in fact, in your life to make something great out of you. He doesn't look at what others think about you. Isn't that good news? He doesn't say, you know what? Bob told me you were a real jerk. So I'm kind of thinking maybe you are because Bob said you were a jerk. No, God doesn't look at what other people say. He doesn't care. 
He sees what we can and will be in and through him. And there's so many scripture verses that support this. There's one in 1 Peter where Peter says, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, chosen by God. And then I love this one of my favorite chapters in Romans, chapter 8, where God says to, to his people, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You and I are more than conquerors. How does God look at us? We are more than conquerors. But what's the two most important words in that little verse? Through him. Through him who loved us. Not just conquerors, but more than conquerors. Not just warriors, but more than warriors, just like Gideon. Now, I'm not suggesting we deny our weaknesses or our humanity. I'm not suggesting we ignore or deny our emotions or the circumstances. I know some of you think, well, yeah, but, 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 it, how about? I know I'm not denying those things. What I am saying, though, and this is the, this is the key to this, when God is in the mix, when God is in the mix, you and I mustn't define our ultimate reality by anything else but what he says. Who's God? Not a trick question. Who's God? He is. We listen to him. We follow him. We obey him. I know that for some, it might perhaps sound like I'm talking some name and claim at mumbo-jumbo. If you know me, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we must listen to God, to what he says is true about us and about him, and then focus there on that reality. Why? Because what you focus on matters, guys. Why is this a big deal? Because what we focus on matters. It affects what we believe. It affects what we do. It affects our actions. My grandpa was a brick mason, and uh, he passed away when I was uh, uh, just a, a kid. But for years, he worked on high-rise construction buildings, brick buildings in St. Louis, Missouri. In fact, I can show you some of the buildings he, he worked on. It was back in the 60s, 50s and 60s, when they didn't have a whole lot of construction site rules and regulations, back before all sorts of, you know, OSHA stuff and whatever. And, and these guys, they would literally walk on six, eight, sometimes 10-inch wide walls or beams up dozens of stories above the ground without any safety arms. Here's a picture. This is actually the Empire State Building being built. But my grandpa didn't work in the Empire State Building, but just like this, they'd walk up and they'd, and they'd stand on these beams in, in, in hundreds of feet sometimes above the ground. No safety harness whatsoever. And I'm a little kid. I think I was like 9 or 10 years old. I said, Grandpa, Grandpa, how do you do it? What's the secret to surviving and doing that and not falling? And it's one of the few things I remember my grandpa told me because it made so much sense. He says, you don't look at your feet. It says, look where you want to go, and your eyes will take your feet where they need to go. Some of you are like going, really? Does that work? Uh-huh. I was trying to get my grandson Caleb to do it the other day on a log. He wouldn't look up, and that's us. We won't take our eyes off of us. You, you, he said, don't keep your eyes on your feet. Don't look down. Let your eyes take you where you want to go, and your, your feet will follow your eyes. Now, if you die this week on a beam somewhere up, I, I, I dissolve myself of all responsibility for that. But my point is, what you focus on matters. If you and I focus on and define ourselves by what we think, or by what others think, and that's our focal point, then that's probably who we'll become. If we focus on our circumstances and let others define us based on those things, based by that, then we'll live bound to our circumstances. If things are good, we'll be good. If things are bad, we'll be bad. What a miserable way to live. And if we live by and focus on our emotions simply by the way we feel at any given moment, 
then we're going to be all over the emotional map, and it's not a healthy way to live either. And that's why, listen, that's why we must focus on God. Fix our eyes on him. Isaiah 26. Those who fix their eyes on you will remain steadfast. They'll, they'll, be, they'll find peace. Those who fix their eyes on him will find the peace of God. We fix our eyes on him and what he says. What he says about us. What he says about his presence. That he is there with us always. And about what he says about your potential in and through him. Let me say it again. God has a plan and a purpose for you. Even when you feel pathetic and clueless. Anybody ever feel pathetic and clueless? Oh, thank you. I feel so much better. He sees value and usefulness in you, even when you feel fragile and broken. So when we are faced, when you are faced with the fear, whatever that is, fear of the unknown, fear of a future that you don't have any idea what's going to happen, fear of a relationship, fear of losing something, fear of, I know what, name, fill in the blank when you're faced with that. You need to know God is speaking and is trying to get into your heart. There's a greater reality in play. You're not alone, and I have a great plan for you. And when we do fix our eyes on him, that's when that peace that passes all understanding comes into our hearts. When we feel like we're the weakest of the weak and the least of the least, just like Gideon, we need to hear God say, I'm going to be with you, and I've got your back. You're not alone. Listen, you're not alone. Imagine what God can do, what he might do through you. Imagine what he might do through us as a community of faith. When we take our eyes off our inadequacies and the things that aren't the way we'd like them to be, we take our eyes off of our past or even off of our fear of the future, and we simply fix our hearts and minds on him. See, when that happens, then we're no longer slaves to fear anymore, and that's when the miraculous happens. That's where God does what he did with Gideon. And if you read on the story, I encourage you, read chapter 7 and 8, the rest of his story. God takes 30,000 men, whittles it down to 300 guys, and with a bunch of clay pots and noisy instruments, they defeat an entire army. That's when God does the miraculous. That's when we are no longer slaves to fear. And that's the way God wants you to live. How would life be if I happened to see a very different side of me? What would I do if I remembered it's true? God's bigger than me and you. Brian, right, let me pray for you. Father, I'm amazed at how many times uh, over and over in the scriptures you came to fearful people, guys shaking in their boots, women who were terrified, Youth, Lord, Jeremiah, who was a kid, a teenager. And, and every one of them, almost every one of them made some sort of excuse, some sort of yeah, but to you. And yet, God, you're so patient and so kind and so merciful. And you just lean in on us a little bit more and say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Trust me. Do not fear. Lord, I pray that we this morning would leave here perhaps not with any different circumstance around us, nothing dramatically changing in our situation, but everything changing in our heart because we choose to fear not. To lift our eyes to you and to see that we're not alone, that you're with us, and to believe that you truly do have something great and good. 
what you do, Lord. You take our lives, our brokenness, our screw-ups, our, our mistakes, our failures. You take our past riddled with sin, and you redeem, you restore, and you renew. Thank you for that. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And there's a lot of things I could tell you about why that's a good deal. God says, I'm going to take all that sin in your life and that guilt. I'm going to give you my forgiveness and grace. That's a good deal. God says, I'm going to take your life and I'm going to give you eternal life. That's a good deal. But perhaps this morning, if I could just land on this more than anything else, you'll hear God say to you, I want to take you and do something great through you. I want to do something amazing through you. And there's something, I believe this, I know this, I just know it. There's something in our souls that longs to fulfill the destiny that we have in Christ. There's something, there's empty void in us that longs to, to discover why we were made and why we're here. And we try and find it so other many things, but to fill that void, that emptiness, and God says, no, it's only found in me, through me, in me, by me. And if you're here today and you're ready to begin that journey and you want to discover the greatness, the destiny that God has for you, it starts with you confessing your sin. Yep, I failed. Yep, I need God. And then it begins as you choose to follow him, to become a Christ follower, to say, okay, I, I'm in. I've got a lot of questions still, a lot of things I still haven't figured out, but I'm in. And if that's you, then would you just make this prayer yours right now? Whether you're sitting in this room or watching online, right now, just say, God, forgive me. I have sinned. I have made a mess of my life. I've tried it my way, and here I am on the verge of bankruptcy and emptiness and brokenness, and I realize I need help. I need a Savior. And so right now, I, I turn my life over to you. And I embrace your forgiveness, your mercy, your grace, your goodness. And I want to discover the life you have for me. And so I'm in. I'm all in, God. I'm yours. Now, if that's you, just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's what I want. If I think that's so simple, just to, is that it? Well, it's the beginning. But right now, make that choice. And God says, you're, you're becoming my child the instant you say yes to me. Lord, seal in the hearts of those that are choosing today to follow you and what you're going to do through them. Show them what you're going to do in them and through them. And then all, help us all leave you today ready for the great discovery of your presence, your power in us and through us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing a new song. Uh, it's a simple song. You'll pick it up pretty quickly. I want to encourage you to make this your prayer today. And let's worship together and I'll come back and wrap it up. Of all the things that uh, I want you to remember today, maybe that last phrase is the most important. Who are you? You're his kids. You're his. You've all seen it. You've experienced it. A little child terrified. Who do they run to? Mom, dad, grandpa, grandma. And in that moment, they cling to them because they're afraid. And the parent, the grandparent, holds them, protects them because of who they are. You're held by him because of who you are. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, I encourage you to tell somebody. 
to uh, let us know. We'll be down front. I'd be, I would love to pray with you. On the, door, uh, on the tables by the doors on your way out, there's a package of new believers. It's got a Bible, some tricky start your walk with Jesus. Pick that up. There's a new First Steps class coming up in December. I want you to sign up for that. We'll be doing some water baptisms, I think, December 13th. That's coming up as well, just before Christmas. Prayer team will be down front. Again, if you'd like to help us and become a part of the prayer team, stop by there. You can sign up on the sheet there at the table or go online. There's a tab, eastpointchurch.org. You can click on the tab. and There's a simple application we ask you to fill out, and we'll contact you. Communion is available, both sides of the room. If you missed the offering, the prayer request didn't get in the buckets, the lucky in the black box above the doors, drop it in there. And if you've got kids, um, one of the things I keep forgetting to mention this service, you know, we have a little shorter time now between the services. So as soon as you can, go pick up your munchkins. Don't forget them. Take them home. And uh, be praying about this week. I'm very excited. You know, last Wednesday we had 700 high school students and teachers, faculty in this building uh, with FBLA. I just love what God does using this place. And we're going to use it this week again. Uh, for the Halloween party on Saturday night. So be praying about that as well. My prayer for you is that you'll go. You'll go and fear not. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today.